Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 25 of the Mad Scientist Podcast. 25 episodes, in theory, should be the mark where I have been doing this for over a year. Since when I started this thing, I was hoping to sit at around two episodes a month. However, as you can probably tell by the fact that we release way more often than that, over time we've tried to add a lot of content to the show and make it so that there's generally not more than a week between drops of these episodes in your feed. I absolutely love making this show. It's seriously become the highlight of my days, and having you as fans just makes it all the better. Right now, it's still a hobby, but who knows? Maybe someday it can become a full-time gig for us here at the Mad Scientist Podcast, and we'll be able to drop as many episodes and as much extra content as I seem to be able to think up. But for now, and in the near future at the very least, you can expect two episodes a month of full content, two roundtable episodes, and we are also going to be releasing special topical bonus episodes where Marie and I just mouth off about a topic of our fans' choosing as well as releasing deep-dive content on a specific technical science topic. So if you think of the show now as sort of the general introduction to various scientific fields through history and pseudoscience, those deep-dives will be more specific and technical. Looking at a specific scientific field or course that you may not know a lot about if you aren't in a technical field for work. The first of these deep dives will be on thermodynamics, with further deep dive episodes expected on differential calculus, nanotechnology, chemical kinetics, Newtonian physics, and other things that you the fans might find interesting. If you have a topic you always hear about in science but don't know a lot about, and want to know more, then please ask us to do one of these deep dives on it. Further, if you have some topic or question you would like to hear Marie and I wax philosophical about for about a half an hour, put those requests in too. The bonus episode should be monthly, and regularly monthly, with the first bonus on politics already available to our Patreon supporters, and becoming available to all listeners on our normal RSS feed in August, a month after it drops on the Patreon page. Those deep dives, however, will be available to everyone right away, and will be dropping somewhat randomly, since they are bonuses on top of our regularly scheduled content, and now these other regularly scheduled bonuses. Another exciting development is something we talked about in the last roundtable, that being the BMAT Scientist Contest. I was super blown away still by those entries we got last time. And so this month's topic, I'm really hoping will spur you on to even more creative and diabolical things. This month, the topic is how would you suggest to someone in the distant past that you were in fact a wizard and that magic was real? How would you convince them? What kind of tricks or things would you show them using modern technology? We're going to assume that you have a backpack to bring back with you. So basically the question is, what kind of cool gadgets or things or whatever would you bring with you from the modern world into the past to try to, you know, trick them into thinking you're a master wizard? Looking forward to reading all the entries and good luck. The final exciting development we have this week is sort of an offshoot of this series topic. Marie and I have been playing around with the idea of a more serialized version of this show for some time now, basically releasing these as individual seasons on top of the original podcast that you've come to listen to. And we've finally found a general topic idea that will fit the bill. These special series will focus on true crime topics and stories, digging in with significant amounts of research and technical, science-driven analyses of the evidence, the theories, and just what may have occurred in these cases. 
The first episode will focus on the disappearance and eventual discovery of Elisa Lamb. And Marie and I are already deep into autopsy reports, legal documents, and all kinds of other forms of research on the story. We hope that even if you've heard these stories before, and I'm sure you've heard all the other episodes on Elisa Lamb, we will provide a more detailed and in-depth side of the topics and ideas that go along with the crime itself. But at the same time, we want to address the myths and pseudoscience sometimes presented as part of true crime stories. True crime is an interesting field because it focuses not only on questions of morality, psychology, sociology, and many others, but also because it involves real, complex people who have to deal with the crime itself, as well as the shockwaves left in the crime's wake. But it's also one that at its worst relies too often on lazy storytelling, utilizing simplistic notions of right and wrong to tell you who the good guys are and who the villains are. And true crime abounds with myths and pseudoscience. And frighteningly, true crime as a medium may at times contribute to these myths and pseudoscience, making it harder to deal with criminality and its effects on society as a culture. Life is not black and white like they show on TV. Life is varying shades of gray, which is really what makes true crime such a fascinating topic. We hope to bring you that deep analysis and storytelling with our true crime series. Now, that isn't to say that there aren't phenomenal true crime shows out there right now, and especially shows that deal with the sort of nuances true crime requires at its best. Shows like The Nighttime Podcast, Generation Y, Blurry Photos, The Lone Gunman, Insight, Already Gone, Pleasing Terrors, Convicted and Actual Innocence, and The Conspirators all handle true crime in a way that we hope to emulate, and frankly in a way that we here at The Mad Scientist look up to. We hope we can add to this type of storytelling something that hasn't been there before. And if you have suggestions for topics to cover, please let us know. One of the biggest true crime myths is that of the psychopathic killer, a criminal who, by their illness, is more prone to violent and irrational actions, and who therefore should be treated as gingerly as a vial of nitroglycerin. This myth is propagated all over the place, perhaps most disturbingly on our TV sets after each consistent and frighteningly regular mass shooting. Again, there's no discussion of the root cause of these tragedies, such as a lack of social services, lack of treatment, access to firearms, and lack of family counseling and education on their loved one's disorder. And God forbid someone who knew the killer grieved the loss of the person they knew, the person who they thought could never commit such an act, and the person who did commit this terrible action, and whose consequences they left to the people still living. The killer's family and friends are victims here as well, maybe not in the same way or to the same degree as those whose loved ones were brutally taken from them through no fault of their own. But to ignore the tragedy from both sides here is, again, simplistic and naive. These killers are often given titles such as schizophrenic, psychopath, antisocial, monster, lunatic, simplistic names that give no real information about why they cause these crimes, what real mental illness they may have been suffering from, and what kind of treatments or preventative steps can be taken to stop something like this from happening in the future. Even more shocking and disturbing is the very fact that mental illness is considered a precursor or necessary component of these abhorrent crimes. We assume when we hear something horrible that the killer must be a lunatic, but in many cases the killers are not suffering from mental illness in the way that we mean by these statements. I mean, is the drug dealer who kills a competing drug dealer crazy? How about the gang leader who calls out hits on dozens of people each year? The prisoner who murders a rival prisoner for social status? The politician whose policies lead to the poisoning of thousands of children? 
In many cases, we may think these people are horrible, making bad decisions, whatever, but we wouldn't consider them to be crazy, right? What about someone who kills another by accident, or in self-defense, or by negligence? Were those people acting rationally when they took a life, even if by mistake? These questions are by definition gray areas, because taking a life is not a normal part of our daily existence. And so by stigmatizing specific instances of taking a life, by applying the notion of crazy person to them, only manages to hurt those who are truly suffering from mental illness, while muddying the waters on ways to actually prevent crimes from happening in the first place. These next few episodes will be a forerunner to the true crime series, delving into the myths and science surrounding mental health care, especially in America. I hope to dispel and pick apart some of the damaging and misinformed questions and theories about mental health and those that are mentally ill, and hopefully inform you, the listener, as to the challenges people with mental illness face every day. Are those who can be considered mentally ill more prone to violence? Can we tell who will become violent by looking at a brain scan, or by checking boxes on a list of childhood behaviors? What are the types of mental illness, and how do they change the behaviors of a person? Are the majority of criminals mentally ill, or are the majority of the mentally ill destined to become criminals? How can we potentially stop these national tragedies from occurring in the first place? I hope we can have a sensible discussion on these topics on the next few Mad Scientist podcasts. Welcome to the Mad Scientist podcast, episode 25, Mental Health Part 1. Alright, well with that pretty long intro, the first episode in this series will be a discussion with one of the hosts of the phenomenal Is This Adulting podcast, Stephen Pappas. I hope I'm saying your last name right. Pappas, but you're good. You're good. Pappas? Yeah. Okay. Alright. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. So how's it going? It's going. How about you, man? Yeah, yeah it's definitely going. It's, it's been been alright, you know, been a, been a long week. Yeah. As that. it always is. As it always is. So, uh, so Steve, tell us a bit about your podcast, why you started it, what, what's going on with it. Sure. Um, we are, as we said in our first episode, two weirdos that were able to purchase microphones and have now been let loose on the world. Um, nice. My podcast is, is this adulting? You already said that. Um, we kind of have set out to break the stigma on mental illness through a comedic lens. And so... We got started because about seven or eight months ago, my father passed away uh, suddenly, and I had a complete mental breakdown, and some underlying mental illness came to the surface, and I had some issues, um, a laundry list of different illnesses that exhibited themselves, um, and so my friend and I, uh, who both, one of mine and his major one is we both have panic disorders, um, decided, you know what, we're going to get together. We're going to do this podcast. It's going to be a comedy podcast. It's going to be weird. We're going to talk about random topics like breakfast cereals, uh, and addiction and superheroes and whatever we want to talk about and just check in with each other and our listeners and make sure that they know that anyone dealing with this sort of stuff that, you know, we can be normal people too, and it's okay to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I fucking love that. I love that mission statement. I love that. I love that mission. I love that idea. I love your podcast too, Thanks, man. No problem. It's super good. It's like become one of my one of my go to uh, listens every morning. You That's know? It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, man. No, it's really awesome. Um, so it's so 
interestingly, so I've never said this on this show, but I think it's important to get it out there because there is no stigma. There should be no stigma associated with mental illness. I myself also have struggled with mental illness. Um, I actually have obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm. Um, and so just for those that don't know, listening, uh, what that entails basically is, uh, it's sort of, it's, it is a kind of a anxiety disorder where, um, basically my, my brain structures, my brain chemistry doesn't allow me to get over certain anxious thoughts. And so if I think like, you know, I don't know. Oh, the stove is on, right? If if it was really bad, if if I thought the stove was on, that thought would keep going until I went to check the stove. Right. Right? It's like the and, worst, it, and it doesn't isn't it? it's so stupid and it doesn't shut off either and that's in and so and so it's kind of like a long a long it's a long time coming for me to get this diagnosis. I, I actually was diagnosed in grad school. Um but my symptoms started to appear similar to, similarly to yours after my dad passed away. Right. Right. That was really when my, when my symptoms started to show themselves more regularly. Um, but it's, but now that I know this, this diagnosis and I can kind of see the difference in how I act, you know, now that I'm taking medicine to make me less depressed and less anxious, um, it's kind of like day and night, you know, like I can, I can see myself doing things when I was younger and be like, Oh shit, that makes total sense now. Right. You know, and so it's and so I think it's important, at least that the listeners know that, you know, if I, if if there is a bias here in these episodes coming from the fact that I do have this issue. But, you know, we're going to come at it like with everything. We're going to come at it hard and try to do it. No, I think you need to. I mean, honesty, when it comes to this sort of stuff is something that is desperately needed. Um, it's not discussed openly. It's not, you know, I've got a laundry list of um illnesses like i said that presented i've anywhere from i can just rattle off a uh, major depressive disorder uh, massive panic disorder um ocd ptsd um agoraphobia i couldn't walk to my mailbox for a while without having a panic attack like mm. i've got a cocktail of these things but i think the important thing that you're doing and that we're trying to do through the show is to show hey like this stuff needs to be talked about because it's not quote unquote, and I'm using air quotes, it's not crazy. You're not insane. You are sick the same way anyone with diabetes or heart disease or cancer is sick. And um, oftentimes people don't understand that. And so many times they don't understand that this can be equally as detrimental to your health or can be terminal if it's not treated. Well, what I was, what would really amazed me was I, so I never, I would not have considered this a disability, right? Like a, like a, like a federally recognized disability until when I started applying to jobs and it was like, do you have a disability and a disability is listed as these things. And I was like, shit, I'm on like three of those things. Right. (laughs) Right. Like I'm I'm, I got those right. Like it's on a document and everything. Right. Um, and it was like, Oh my God, like what, Man, you know, it was like a change of a change of thinking about yourself, you know, and that was that was part of the big challenge in even going to get help about it. I could see these issues presenting themselves in my life and I just didn't want to be. I don't know, you know, you don't you don't want to think that you're it's 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 difficult with brain 
things with, with yeah. mental things because you're you have a view of yourself as this person that you've been. And then all of a sudden to think, well, a lot of those things that I thought were just inherent quirks in my personality might actually be disorders, right? Might right. actually be something that if I take a if I take a pill, those will go away. Right. It's and very scary, it, you know? It is, and it, it remains scary even when you've kind of got it under control. It can still yeah. be a very scary thing. Like I me for instance, it took me 10 years to get help. Um I went on mm-hmm. another show um that allows people to come and share their stories, um, the peripheral. And I was talking about this. Um, I mean, it took me 10 years to get help in those 10 years. I, at one point had a drinking problem. I tried to kill Mm. myself, like all of these things, because I wasn't treating the illness that I was suffering from. And right. I don't always view it as a disability. Technically it's a federally recognized disability. Um, a lot of what I do, I typically lean more toward the, you know, I, I've always told people I'm not disabled or I'm not, um, I'm not quote unquote crazy or sick. Even I'm enhanced. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard I've, uh, that was really funny when I started researching it, of course, cause I'm a big nerd. <laughs> Once I found out that my, you know, my, my doctor was like, well, maybe you have this, so you should go talk to someone about it. When I went home and Googled it, one of the first things that came up was this this research paper written by an uh, anthropologist, I think. And basically what it was was arguing that mental illness as it presents itself today in the modern world might be the result of mis-evolution. Hmm. So if you have enhanced – what's the word? Enhanced – I guess so if you have like paranoia. Right. Right. And you you notice things, you've enhanced uh whatever peripheral not peripheral vision, but you, perceptiveness. Yeah, you've enhanced perceptiveness and enhanced like enhanced flight fight or flight response. That might have been a benefit back when we were apes in a tree. Right. Right. But it and so it's developed over time as something that might have been useful, but it hasn't been. Now I think as a as a science guy, that's kind of a silly story, right? Right. I mean, it's, you know, we can't, we don't know anything about back all the way back then. So how the hell can we say that? But I remember, I remember that this, this paper kind of laid it out as, as if it was a power, right? Right. They were like, (laughs) well, you, you notice things better than other people do, you know? And, and the thing is with, with certain disorders, that's the way that they're shown on TV. Right. Think about monk. Right. It's like, oh, he's a he's a super sleuth. Oh, yeah. Or like psych. I love psych. But the whole yeah. time I was watching psych, I was like, I think this guy has undiagnosed obsessive compulsive disorder because right, he notices right. things like on such a microscopic level. And I was like, um, I mean, I know a guy who does that, too. And this was back when my father was alive. And it was my dad who was severely yeah. OCD. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's a it's a really interesting Ah, uh, that's the hardest thing about it too. Is is now looking back and seeing your family members in a new light as well, right? right? Oh yeah. Um, when you're a kid, I mean, I growing up, I know at least in my family, growing up, I had no clue. Um, yeah, I thought you know my dad was just quirky and my mom just had some sadness issues sometimes. Like I didn't realize they suffered from depression and anxiety and all these disorders until right. You know, I got older and I understood you know what the pill names in the cabinet were. You know, right. 
Right, right. Absolutely. It's a, it's such an interesting and the thing. So the reason why I wanted to do this episode and have an interview you besides the fact that I just like your podcast and I'm geeking out <laughs> is the the idea that mental illness has become a really strong source of a lot of pseudoscience out there. Right. right? So. I think one of the most common ones people think of is that uh, someone with schizophrenia has multiple personalities. Right. Yeah. Not at all. Not true. No. When multiple personalities is in fact a, a more likely to present itself in someone with extreme anxiety. Right. As a, as a, a coping mechanism, right? You displace yourself from the situation. And it's an extremely rare i mean having multiple personalities is an extremely rare disorder that the media has kind of like through television and movies and stuff made to sound like oh well anyone with schizophrenia has multiple personalities or multiple personalities is a very common mental break and it's just not true you're more likely to have and not i don't mean this is schizophrenia but just in health in general you're more likely to have delusions and hallucinations than you are to have multiple personalities like it's no i mean the the fact of the matter is right that it's it's something i think there's only ever been one documented case of an individual with a complete split in personality right. where there was no no interaction between the two psyches say right like a complete it, it shuts off and okay well now i'm whatever i'm mary and now i'm beth right right it's so rare it's almost like I don't know. It's it's as if, you know, every character on TV was suddenly found to have, I don't know, the most rare form of cancer. <laughs> right. You know, everyone has, I don't know, bone cancer on TV. And it's like, well, that's not no, it's not happening. You know, yeah, it's not happening that often. And, and you know, and it's it like you said, it's being misread as schizophrenia. Like one of the best descriptors that help me understand schizophrenia um is there is a hbo documentary that came out last year i think called beware the slender man um about the slender man killings yes um, well not killing um attempted murder of the, the right. two little girls committed um and her father is um schizophrenic one of the mm-hmm. girls mm-hmm. and he was describing it and hearing it in his own words and he was emotional about it and he said, it's it's the voices that tell you things. He said, it's, and the one that stuck with me, he said, it's when I'm driving in my car and I know the devil's not in the back seat, but the mm-hmm. devil's in the back seat. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. talking to me. And I'm just yeah. like, that to me, I was like, from knowing people who are schizophrenic, they have described it in similar ways. And I'm like, that that's a good way. It's 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 almost knowing that what you're hearing or seeing in a lot of cases is not real, but it is real to you. Right. It's a, the thing as well with it that I don't think people realize is just how we always talk about the positive symptoms of schizophrenia, right? Right. We always talk about the delusions and by positive, what, what I mean here is not, the, the symptoms are split up in a positive and negative, right? And so the positive ones would be things that add to your sensory perception, basically, while the negative would be ones that take away from it, take away from your mental capacity. And so in many ways, schizophrenia at the latest, at the later stages ends up looking more like dementia or Alzheimer's right. than it does like, 
you know, someone who's really suffering from long-term schizophrenia is probably living in a home because they can't take care of themselves. Right. You know, it's a much, it's a much sadder, a much, much scarier diagnosis than I think people realize, you know, it's not that you're, I remember, I remember when I was in high school, I guess there was a story in our local newspaper about a, this, this kid who had schizophrenia or had been diagnosed as a schizophrenic. And he was convinced that the, uh, his family raised like peacocks in the backyard. Right. And he was convinced that the peacocks were vampires. Hmm. Right. And so it was all over the front page of the newspaper that this guy had gotten, he had, he had broken out of his, the, the home where he was staying, went to his house and then killed all the peacocks. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then like in the process had really, really hurt himself as well. Just by like, just by trying to kill these big ass, you know, these relatively large animals. Right. Right. And, um, I remember the coverage of it was like this wacky, funny thing, you know, like, see, I, and I hate that. Like I'm, I hate the, when things are used at the expense of a joke and when television and movies make things out to be either people with mental illness are funny and silly. And I don't mean funny in, in the way that like our show is funny. We consider ourselves amateur comedians. We have fun. We joke around. We we've made up characters and we basically do improv on our show. Like that's, that's what we do. But when it's portrayed as, you know, something is off with them, but look at just how funny this can be or the opposite of, Oh, well they're automatically going to be a serial killer. Um, then all of a sudden you get this image, um, at least outwardly that is not healthy. And that's what fuels the things like you and me taking so long to seek help because we're convinced that it makes us crazy, but it doesn't, it makes us human. And we're just people who suffer from something. And that's, that's the thing that gets me the most, you know, is just this idea of like people are not getting the help they need because they are ashamed. And yeah. what the hell do you have to be ashamed of? You know, cause you don't like, and, and I'm not, a, sorry, I'm getting all fired up. I'm not, I'm not a professional. <laughs> like I, I, before anyone comes at me on the internet about my description of schizophrenia, like I don't deal with it and I have friends that do, but that's an amateur opinion. I am not a professional. Um, right. but that was just my understanding of it, but there's nothing to be ashamed of and there's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. When you get a meds adjustment, like, because a lot of people need medication, some people don't, but a lot of people do. And when you get a meds adjustment, it might suck. I had a medicine that caused me to black out and feel like my brain was being electrocuted. And I would like Mm. just come down every 30 minutes. I would have what I called brain zaps. And Mm. like, so that was Zoloft. I don't have a problem saying like I'm not, I'm, Pfizer doesn't sponsor you. I don't think. Um, <laughs> no, not, uh, no, they don't. So that was, you know, I, Zoloft didn't work for me, but I have great friends and family members. My father, before he passed, like Zoloft worked great for them. So it's finding the right medication. It's doing all this. But as long as people are still out there creating this false image of what mental illness truly is and what living with it looks like, I mean, right. you're gonna, you're gonna, have people who aren't getting the help they need. And of course that just, it's a circle, man. It's, it's, it's just, and of course the people who aren't getting the help they need in many cases, I mean, that's when you get terrible situations where people are not 
treating their illness. And I'm not saying they go off and shoot a bunch of people. I'm, I'm talking more about things like suicide. Yes. And um, statistics like that. Because the statistics are staggering. One in five people who suffer from mental illness and depre- or depression, mental illness, anxiety, specifically, um, one in five people will kill themselves at some point right. in their life. Like, that's staggering. That's 20%. It's, it's a huge... the thing. Well, that's one point that's always... That's often scoffed at by people who have this negative notion of mental illness is that you, you know, if you have a mental illness, you are far more likely to be the victim of violence right. than you are to be the perpetrator. Right. You're far more likely to become homeless. You're far more likely to be, um, be in a situation where you're being abused by your spouse. You know, um, and you're and you're far more likely to, like you said, commit suicide. You know, it's and it's and a lot of it could be alleviated just by. In my opinion, again, an unexpert opinion, right? A lot of it could be alleviated by simply coming out and saying this isn't as unmanageable and scary as you think it is. Right. You know, there are people who are. One of the best one of the best things for me when I was diagnosed was looking at the Wikipedia page on famous people with obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, I'm in fucking great company. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, look at that. You know, and like and the you know, and it's the same thing. It's it's there are people who suffer with these illnesses every day and you wouldn't know it because it's well treated and, and they're they're on top of it and they have a positive environment around them. Right. And like you said, it's these situations where someone doesn't the thing, the one statistic that's very, very amazing to me is they did a cross sectional study of all of the cases of mental, uh, of mental illness seeming to be a factor in crime. Greetings from evergreen podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. And in specifically in murder and violent crime. Right. And what they found was when you removed the secondary or when you removed the way that this study worked is it looked at, okay, mental illness was one factor that these people had in common. How common is it for someone with just mental illness to become violent? Then how common is it for someone without mental illness to become violent? And then you start adding on cofactors. You say, how, how often is it that someone with mental illness and an addiction becomes violent? How often is it that someone with an addiction becomes violent? Mm-hmm. And vice right? And you start mixing and matching these categories and picking apart the statistics to say, well, if we remove this cofactor, they're no more likely than if they were, it was present. Right? right. And what, what it was, what was found was that 
In fact, the biggest indicator of becoming violent if you're mentally ill is having a simultaneous addiction. Right. Right. So you're you're ill and you're taking meth or you're right. And if you remove that secondary factor, if you if you remove the fact that, okay, well, they're also taking a drug or they're also addicted to something, the rate for for mental illness and violence goes to the normal, you know, normal, quote, quote, unquote, the standard level for someone without a mental illness. Right. And so many people, the reason that they're dealing with addiction and addiction is a mental illness in itself. Um, The reason people are dealing with addiction, a lot of people with mental illness is because that mental illness is underlying and they are afraid to seek help again. Like they're they're, they're self-medicating. Right. Yeah. They're self-medicating. I have friends that did that because that was what they thought they needed to do. Like I said, I, I drank a lot. Um, Oh, absolutely. I mean, all that, you know, like it was, listen, you know, I'm sure we all know someone in our lives who is anxious or a little bit more anxious than they'd like to be. And they smoke pot. Right. You know what I mean? And then sometimes that stops being effective for people because they need something more, you know? Right. Yeah. I think, I think in a lot of ways, and that's really why we're trying to do this, this series and hopefully this true crime story series in a way that will dispel those myths. Right. Because, you know, every time we do an episode where someone, we did an episode on demonic possession mm-hmm. and that's always a, a case in the, in the, you know, the spooky field that I'm in. That's always a case where people, people think, well, maybe they're, they're, you know, schizophrenic or one of the, the go-tos always is, is epilepsy. They're epileptic. So they're having an epileptic fit, right? And that's because epilepsy tends to actually have a lot of the same features as what we would consider to become a demonic possession. But, um, but one thing when we whenever we do those stories is we try to be extremely clear that if you're having some kind of symptoms like this, go to a doctor. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. There's it's not your fault. Your brain is wired the way it is. Right. You know, and and it's so it is so funny. I mean, it's kind of almost the way that I like to think of it with this with TV and media and whatever is imagine if Breaking Bad had been the imagine if Breaking Bad had been the first show to come out with a character who had cancer. Mm. Right. And so every subsequent show was measuring up to Breaking Bad. I bet we would have some stigma about cancer and and drug dealing. Oh, sure. Or violence. Right. It's a silly it's just a silly narrative being being made out, right? There's the statistics don't don't fit this narrative at all. No, and it's it's pro, it's terrible. It's it's a horrible thing. Yeah. So what would you say? So what what would you say is your most commonly faced myth or stigma? I guess having dealing with mental illness. Um, for me, it's. <sighs> commonly there are there are two things because there's the one i've dealt with outwardly for a while now and then there's the one i've dealt outwardly with for about three weeks now um Mm. the more recent one is three weeks ago when i went on that show i told a story for the first time in 10 years that i had never told anyone including my wife i've been married to my wife for two years my mother never knew my father never knew my best friends never knew um, and I went on the internet and told 20,000 people, um, mm-hmm. hey, when I was in high school, I tried to kill myself. 
Mm. And so, of course, the stigma I face with that now is most people have been extremely supportive, but there are people who automatically assume you need to be treated with the kid gloves. They assume that you are a mentally unstable or weaker person who is very likely at any point to just off themselves. And that is not true. That's not accurate. Like, in fact, me having dealt with that has made me even more more firm in my push to not become a statistic, to not be somebody who takes their own life. And you know what? People with illness... I think are all too often blamed and called selfish. And I think the media has done that. There was a television show on Netflix that I'm sorry if any of your listeners love it. I cannot stand it. It's called 13 reasons why and it glorified suicide. Yeah. We talked about that. yeah, Yeah. And there were, I mean, just graphic showings of, Hey kids, here's how to do it. And I was just, I was mortified by this show because Mm -hmm. one, it caused me to have flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Two, I felt like all it did was place the blame on the person who did it being selfish and the people around them not being supportive enough. And, and nowhere in there did they mention, oh, by the way, she may have had underlying mental illness. Like, right, by the way, her brain may not have let her get off of this. Idea. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so often it's the blame is forced on the ones left behind and that mm-hmm. person is mm-hmm. villainized and made to be thought of as this selfish person. And so like... Mm-hmm. My biggest fear coming out with that story, and luckily I haven't faced much of it, but my biggest fear was that everyone's going to think they need to, like, constantly be over-attentive and being taken care of me and, like, that's not what I need. I'm fine. Like, I'm stable. Like Just treat me like a normal fucking person. Right, exactly, because yeah. I am a normal fucking person. Yeah, and so absolutely. It's just, that has been more recent, but overall it's just this idea of... You know, I've tried to stop using the word, and it's very difficult, but I've tried to stop using the word, and I'm using my air quotes again, crazy, Mm -hmm. Um, because I used to refer to myself as crazy, and not Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm crazy because I'm fun, and I'm, no, like, I I would refer to myself (laughs) as crazy, like, because of my illness, and I realized there are power, or there are, there is power in that word. Um, There's power in words, and calling myself that, eventually, I started believing it. Um, you know, and so that just helped to add to the stigma. And so it's fighting against this idea that I'm not crazy, that I'm a person who is dealing with an illness and that is hard for me. And it's hard for me, you know, facing maybe family members who may not understand it or friends who may not understand it. And me standing up and saying, look, this is what it looks like. It is not what has been portrayed, um, everywhere you've seen it and give me some credit. Um, that's what I yeah. face the most, you know, is give me some credit because I, I, you know, yeah, there are little things that stress me out and there are little things that can set me into a downward spiral because of my illness. You know, if I walk into the kitchen in the morning and there are pots and pans in the sink and I meant to do them the night before, or my wife forgot to do them the night before and I hadn't planned on it and it throws off mm-hmm. my routine, I can spiral downward and I crawl onto the couch and I'm there all day. Uh But that doesn't happen every day. And that's not my life. You know, that's, I can lead a normal life. And I think that's the biggest thing is people don't always give you the acknowledgement and the credit that you can lead a normal life. It's just a matter of, you know, for me, it's been a combination of different medications and therapy that have worked for Mm -hmm. me, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's learning to manage things because this isn't going to go away. 
I'm not going to cure this. There is no cure. There's management techniques. So I'm learning. I know you're, you're very science based. So like, I I probably sound like a crazy person. Well, see, I did it again there. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. I'm probably going to sound a little weird when I say like, for me, meditation has really worked and that's not necessarily spiritual meditation. It's just breathing techniques and Uh, yoga and all that, you know? Well, it's funny. It's funny you say that, right? So that was one of the hardest things for one of the hardest things for me when I, I remember my poor therapist, her face when I asked her this question, cause she was like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> right. I remember I asked, well, if I'm, if all of the things that I'm doing that are weird are because of my brain, then how do we treat criminals who are mentally ill? <laughs> right. Like, like I had right. this, I had this and I still have this moral or this, um, this idea of justice in society. Right. And I was like, well, like I'm not violent or anything, but I'm doing weird shit. And it's like, if we're going to give me a pass for what my brain's telling me to do, shouldn't we give it to everyone for what their brain tells them? Hmm. Right. Like, and I, so I came at her with this like super long determinism versus free will argument. And she was just like, what? Like, I just want to put you on medicine, dude. Like, calm down, you know? And I was like, no, but it's like, it's intrinsic to my being. Like it's intrinsic to my sense of self. Right. Um, and and so in another so that's like a totally weird tangent. The other thing that they tried they tried with me when I first went in was they were like, well, why don't you try um oh what's it called? Uh mindfulness, not, cognitive mindfulness, behavioral therapy. Mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness. <laughs> mindfulness was the thing they told me to try. Right. And I remember I had these like tapes that I had to listen to or whatever, and I remember just sitting there being like, This is silly. You know, and right. it didn't work for me. But cognitive behavioral therapy has been like a fucking game changer for me. Right. You know? And for those that don't know, so so it's also funny when you were saying about so I uh, you know, um I think that story you told about being a teenager and not knowing what to do and then attempting to kill yourself, I think that's a story that a lot of people with mental illness have to tell. You right. know? I know I have my own similar story, you know? And um and it's it's one of those things where, you know, I mean, so I don't I have told, I think, in my life, I have told maybe 10 people that I have OCD. Right. Right. Well, you just told, told a lot more. I just told 2000 plus at least at, at the first day. <laughs> we'll see how many downloads it gets. Right. Uh, so when even when I when, when I was playing, I mean, you remember when we were talking about doing this, I told you and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be comfortable saying that I myself have something like right. this. And the reason is that in my in the field of science, that stigma exists super hard. You know, um, like I every day dealt with chemicals that were really dangerous, you know, and so then to have someone think like, well, he can't be trusted with those chemicals. Right. Right. It's it's like it's just a it was a terrifying prospect to me. You know, or to have someone question my logic or my thinking even. Right. Because, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's he's crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. That to me was like, that's going to that that'll fuck me up. You know what I mean? That'll make me mad. No, absolutely. Um, And so it's and it's one of those things where, again, 
if you, you know, and it's, it's so funny to me that we like to now think about previous scientific minds as this idea of, you know, every, every generation there's this, there's a type of mental disability or illness or difference of thinking that becomes put on like a pedestal or thought of as a, as a superpower. Right. And so this generation's version of that is autism or Asperger's syndrome. Mm. And so every scientist who's ever done anything good, but who has been kind of awkward, people immediately think like Einstein had autism. You know what I mean? Hmm. And it's, it's one of those interesting things where it's like, I am a scientist with something happening to my brain sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm terrified of people finding out because I'm like, they're going to think I can't handle myself in this world. And yet, who knows in in I mean, I haven't done anything and nearly is even remotely as good as one of Einstein's interns, you know, sure you have your like, podcast. It's, it's so funny to me to think that in 50 years or whatever, people will be like, well, I bet I bet Chris had autism, hmm. you know, or I bet I bet Chris had whatever the whatever the illness is at the time that they think that people think of popularly as giving you stronger thinking skills or something, you know? That's interesting. I never would have thought a, of that. You know, I and I have I have family members that um have autism. Sure, it's, yeah. It's a matter of just like I mean, I'm I'm way dumber than than they right. will ever be. Like I uh, these are children that are, you know, 5 and 6 years old and they're smarter than I'll ever be. Like <laughs> Right. Well, that's and that's the thing is, you know, it's again, everyone Everyone is different. Not everyone with cancer has the same personality or the same skills. Right. You know, not everyone with with whatever uh, mental health challenge is the same person or the same skill set or the same. I don't know. Lack of better word powers. You know, it's just such a strange thing to me to think of it that way. But it's way it's a way that a lot of people do think of it. Right. Well, it's it's a matter of, you know, I mean, when you break it down and look at it like. People with mental illness are violent. Okay, well, no. Um, you know, that's my that's my thing I always respond to people with is they're always like, well, you know, somebody with schizophrenia or somebody with bipolar or somebody who struggles with depression, like, they're way more likely to go and shoot up a place and all this stuff. And I'm like, actually, um, I've learned through therapy, uh, the majority of people who are seeking help for mental illness are instructed to and typically will depending on the mental illness not own firearms yeah for that reason you know they made sure they asked me they said you know not for and and they tell you this they said not for the safety of others they said but for your own safety do you have firearms in the house and i said no i'm not really you know i'm not a gun guy like yeah they said that's good you know don't you know don't get one don't become one yeah yeah but you know you what's interesting is i have a clean background check I have a clean psychological exam. Technically, the last psychological exam I had was completely clean. I could walk down to the store and buy one if I wanted one. Yeah. And um, I have mental illness. Does that mean that I'm more likely to? No. It means that I'm paranoid somebody's going to break in my house. Um, (laughs) Right. You know, but like, here's the the thing I always like to tell people when they're like, well, people with mental illness are going to go and do something violent. And I'm like, "Well, well, here's the thing. 
anybody at any point could go and do something violent. Any, you mean, could walk well, past somebody on the street tomorrow yeah. who has no mental illness, no history of mental illness in their family, absolutely no indicators, and they could pull out a gun and shoot you. Like, that's just... It it's just something of, that, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I know that sounds like kind of harsh, and it's kind of like that thing of like, well, you could step out in front of a bus tomorrow and die, but... It's it's also true. Like anybody yeah. at any point could become violent, and just because somebody suffers from an illness doesn't mean that they're more likely to become violent. You know what? The thing that I find so funny is we're here talking to each other. We're two white guys, right? Right. We're probably more likely to go on a spree killing thing because we're white guys than because we have <laughs> mental illness, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, like, if you look at history, like, that's that's yeah. that's who's doing it. Like, it, like, most of them aren't ill. No, and the thing, so the part that, one aspect of this that I find so fascinating is trying to, trying to get into the brain regions that cause these illnesses and then at the same time so i i just watched i mean it's pretty it's pretty startling the first two documentaries if you if you on youtube if you google like uh you know like mass shooting documentary or whatever Mm -hmm. you know um one of the first two that come up are both about um people with um psychopathy basically psycho what, what we would once have called psychopaths but now we would consider them to be um have a variety of things, but uh, antisocial personality disorder. Generally, these generally when you're thinking of a, I don't know the 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 media's version of a of a a serial killer or something. You're thinking of someone with a personality disorder, not with a mental illness. Right. Right. Um, which is which is a fine line, and it's something that I think we're really gonna have to get into harder in this in the next episodes here. But the the first two are about they have this this. I don't know if he's still a professor, but if he is, I think he's a jackass. They have this guy on who's like, well, we can see from the brain scans of of uh, violent criminals why they, you know, this is this region doesn't work the way that it would for a normal person, and so we can now look at children and see if they'll become violent okay. based on brain yeah, sure scans. It's like, what are you? What's wrong with you, man? You know, we already did that back. Like, you know, I mean, you you read. Um, is that the same guy that's advocating that we drill holes in our heads to let the demons out? Because that sounds familiar, yeah, like that. He's trepanning. Yeah, the thing is, and and it's and it's craziness, right? He, you know, and and then they have another guy come on, and he's like, "No, that you know, whatever, Professor So and So is wrong. It's actually this part of the brain that doesn't light up that shows violence." It's like, so, okay, now we have at least two competing theories of people who think you can predict violence in children. Right. And they're both trying to, like, minority report this situation. Exactly. And that's not yeah. exactly how it works, you know? And it's like, you're, you're, you're talking about this other guy who at least know of his research. Don't you think maybe you should slow down a little bit? Right? Like, maybe you're getting it wrong. Right. I, I don't know if you've ever read Foucault's. Um, nope. What's it called? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm not smart enough for that. It's called. Um, I read Stephen m- King. Like. <laughs> okay. It's called. The book is called Madness and Civilization. Okay. Right. And what it's and its subtitle is a history of insanity in the age of reason. Hmm. 
And so it was published in 64. The abridged version was published in 64. Originally it was published in 61. And what the book basically does is Foucault was a philosopher um, who believed in this version, this idea of society and culture and the world where economics really is the driving force for everything. Right. And so he believed that, um, he believed so the the simple this is like I don't know Frankfurt School 101 for beginners I guess hmm. the way the way that it works is um so we're animals ultimately right we're I mean you can argue we have a soul whatever but biologically the evidence at this point says we're animals so if you take the materialist view that we're simply biological creatures with a brain that can handle more information than that of another biological creature, what is our ultimate goal? Like, what is the thing for which we have been built? Hmm. The thing that for which we have been built is to continue to survive. Right. And propagate our gene, the genes of our species. And so they would say that Originally, when we were just simple animals, what that meant was survival of the fittest, right? Darwinian evolution. You would eat, you would, you would eat, you would only expend enough energy to be able to get your next meal and you would, you know, you would procreate and the strongest gene pool would be the one that survived and et cetera, et cetera, right? What they argue with this, with this way of thinking argues is that eventually we stopped we started building these these societies around ourselves where it wasn't the, the strength of the individual. It was the strength of the group that mattered. Mm. Right. And what that ultimately meant was you focused around a single strong individual, the king or the warlord or whatever. And then they took care of you pretty much. And you did for them what they needed to be done. And eventually our, our work, our labor for the king became commodified into money, right? Right. And so it's this, and so then the the history, history becomes this long thing about, you know, uh, your actions being commodified and whatever and all this other crap. But the reason that this is interesting for this discussion, at least, is that in this book, Foucault lays out the argument that the way that we've treated the mentally ill over time has not really gotten any different than when we originally used to, like in the Renaissance, what we did with the mentally ill was they would all be put on barges, like on big boats and sent out into the ocean hmm. to kind of survive on their own. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good plan like that. No, it's not a great plan. Um, it is the plan they used. It's not a great plan. Ugh. But so it's a it's a fascinating look, though, at at how we currently view mental illness in the context of a history of mental illness, right? And how does society deal with the mentally ill? How do we deal with people who are, who are so sick? And the thing is that it's not just about the mentally ill, right? It's because the definition of mental illness has changed over time. Right. You know, um, I remember my, my mom, my mom is from Italy originally. And she, we have, we have a member of my family who's autistic and she remembered back in Italy having a cousin who had, who now she knows had autism. Right. Right. But back then they just thought he was like slow. Hmm. And so they just kept him in the field, right? Like he would just kind of like, he would work in the field, whatever, but it was like, no one tried to treat him. He never talked. 
you know, um, back in back in the in the day in the Renaissance and even not that long ago, something like autism would have put you in an asylum for your entire life. Right. Because people assumed it was mental illness. That's the that's kind of the thing is there's a fine line between special needs. There's a fine line between people who are differently abled. There's a fine line between mental illness and personality disorders. Like, yeah, they're all different individual categories of things, but they're they're all similar in ways. And so people just rope them all in together. And that's not necessarily scientifically sound. Like that's, and it's not helpful. It's right. not, the thing is too, from a, from a pragmatic point of view, like you brought up the, you brought up the, the notion of buying a, buying a firearm, right? Right. If you want to stop people from killing other people with guns, don't give them guns. Right. Like yeah. that's, that seems like a simple, pragmatic approach, right? Like take away the thing they're using and they won't be able to use it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the prop, like the challenge with mental illness is that there isn't enough even information out there for the vast majority of people to make logical or sound opinions on these topics. Right. You know, well, because most of the information out there is misinformation, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And so, hopefully, shows like yours, hopefully, you know, the little bit that we'll get to do in, in this series <laughs> will help to dispel some of those misinformation pieces, right? You know, but really, though, if you're listening to this and you have, I mean, I can't, spe- I can't speak for you, Steve, but. We always say whenever these things happen on our show or we have topics like this, even if you want to reach out to us, we are, you know, what I mean, we're, we're happy to point you in the right direction. Right. That's I mean, we do that on our show as well. We say, you know, we, we may not always be able to respond immediately, but if you need immediate assistance, please hang up and call 911 or call Absolutely. a suicide hotline. But if you, if you're just looking for somebody to listen, like I'm not a professional, um, But we always tell our listeners we're willing to talk. We set up a Facebook group. It's a discussion group called The Best Friends, and it is just a place. It's about 150 people now, and somebody can just come in and say, you know, I'm having a shitty day, and here's why. Because I'm, you know, my my bipolar um, disorder is really treating me badly today, or um, the depression is on my back, or we, you know, we call our mental illness Karen um, on our show. And so like, you know, people will come in and be like, Karen's being a bitch today. And like, (laughs) like this is terrible. And like, before I even have time to respond, 30 or 40 people are on it. Just like, Hey, like I'm thinking about you, call me, text me, whatever you need. And so like, we try to tell people the same sort of thing is just ask for help in some, in some fashion. If you're having scary thoughts or um you're worried you're going to hurt yourself or someone else um or if you just want to talk people don't realize the suicide hotlines are not just for suicide you can call no. and just like they'll just talk to you for a while and then like yeah you don't have to be suicidal you can just be like i'm really stressed financially because of this this and this and they're just trained to sit there and be attentive and responsive listeners um and sometimes Sometimes that's all you need. Um, yeah. You know, so definitely, I mean, reach out to the resources you have or the people around you. And like you said, you tell your listeners the same thing and we tell them we can point you in the right direction. Um, there's plenty of places and there's plenty of resources. There's no reason for anyone to ever um, quit. 
for anyone to no. ever give up because there's so many resources and so many people that want to stand with you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, any, any last, any last, I mean, that was very inspirational. Uh-huh. I'm, fe- I'm feeling better about the situation already. There you go. Just, we'll Man. put some, uh, some really intense music behind it. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like I'm giving a Braveheart style speech or something. <laughs> Drums do, 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 do. It's that last um, scene at the black gate in Lord of the Rings where I'm just like rallying the troops. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, any, any, uh, any last things you want to say to the, to the listeners here of the Mad Scientist podcast or you know i mean for me it's just i will reiterate exactly what i just said of you're not alone you're never alone none of us are ever alone um that is something that i think people need to hear over and over is you're not alone you're not crazy this is normal what you're going through is normal there is no quote-unquote normal uh that Mm -hmm. you need to be you don't have to fit into what society tells you um just be you. And you know what? If that means seeking help, that means seeking help. If that means finding a support group, it means finding a support group. Or if that just means finally telling a story that you haven't been able to tell for 10 years, like it did for me, um, that's what it means. But never, ever, ever be ashamed of who you are. And always, always know that somebody out there cares and somebody wants to listen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Mad Scientist podcast. Thanks for having me. On, I'm really man. excited. We're gonna have to have we're gonna have to have uh, we're gonna have to have both of the hosts of this, is this adulting on when we do this true crime thing. It's gonna be really good. Yeah, should be really exciting. It'd be badass. <laughs> uh, well, guys, this was uh, this was Stephen Pappas. Papas. Pappas. Pappas. <laughs> Damn it, Stephen. You're Pappas. so close. You're so close. I'm so close, Stephen Pappas from the Is This Adulting podcast. You can find them on Audioboom, on I'm sure all other places, iTunes, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, all all good places where podcasts can be found. Give them a listen. It's a hilarious show. Highly recommended here on this podcast. And thank you so much for being here. And. And thank you so much for listening, listeners. And if you have any questions or comments or concerns, as always, you can reach out to me on Facebook, on Twitter. You can email the Mad Scientist Podcast at gmail.com. And we will see you in one week with a roundtable. Awesome. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.